0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, O God, Amen. Our Bible study tonight from Psalm 86. The title of this psalm is very short, A Prayer of David. Which means, this psalm is written by David. And the occasion on which it was composed is unknown because there are too many possible times where this could connect with his general circumstances. This song is about a person asking God and pleading with God to listen to his prayer because he is in affliction. And David, all his time he was in affliction. So we don't know exactly which time, but it has been commonly supposed it was written by David when in distress and his life was sought after, very likely when he was persecuted by King Saul and fled from him. This psalm is distinguished by seven times repeated use of the word, Hebrew word Adonai. Adonai means Lord or Master and it was repeated seven times in addressing God What's unique about the word Adonai in the Hebrew culture? It expresses that the person is mindful that he is belonging to God and that he is standing under the immediate guidance, care and protection of God So when he addressed God, Adonai means, I am aware that I belong to God and I am under his immediate care, guidance and protection. This song is made of earnest prayers with reason why those prayers should be answered. So David in this song giving many reasons why his prayer should be answered. It is very suitable prayer for all of us Especially when we are striving under affliction From persecution or injustice However, while the psalmist Finds himself in difficult situation He is confident that God will hear him And God is able to save him He is so sure that even though his situation is dreadful, but God is bigger and God desires to show mercy to those whom he loves. In this psalm, David uses distinct structure to show what is central to his thinking. The psalm starts and ends with reference to his situation To the difficult time in which he is going through and his request for salvation that is the beginning and the end and the center the middle part of the psalm completely focused on God and David's devotion to God Psalm 86 is the only psalm of David written in book 3 of the book of Psalms. They divided the book of Psalms into different books. Book 3 includes Psalm from 73 to Psalm 89. In these 17 Psalms, we find that the only Psalm written by David is Psalm 86. Also, as we will explain, it is a Messianic Psalm means has many prophecies about the Messiah. And the Jews used to sing this song in Yom Kippur, which is the day of the atonement, Yom Kippur al Azim, and we read its right in Leviticus chapter sixteen, being the great day of atonement and this psalm when it is prayed on that day for the sake of the whole people as well as for the sake of every individual and believer Psalm 86 is a very in-depth lesson on prayer it's a lesson to all of us to teach us how to pray where David offered supplication in this psalm he offered supplication repentance, thanksgiving and praise in the same psalm supplication, thanksgiving praise and repentance we pray this psalm in the 6th hour of the Igbeya it is 17 verse from 1 to 7 a humble plea to the God who hears his people 8 to 10 trust and confidence in God's character 11 to 13, commitment to obedience and worship God. And 14 to 17, a humble, confident cry for help. So, as I told you from verse 1 and 7, like 14 and 17, verse 1 to 7, he is pleading with God to hear him and deliver him from his affliction. Again, he repeats the same. From 14 to 17 Confident prayer For help from God So let's start from verse 1 David is saying to God Bow down your ear O Lord, hear me For I am poor And needy The first five verses From verse 1 to 5 Are series Of petitions Each is supported by the foundation on which the psalmist pleads for healing For example, in verse 1 he said Bow down your ear, O Lord, and hear me Why? What is the foundation? For I am poor and needy Verse 2, he asked preserve my life based on what? For I am holy Save your servant, why, who trusts in you? Be merciful to me, O Lord, why, for I cry to you all day long. Rejoice in the soul of your servant, why, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, Lord, are good and ready for, to forgive, and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. So. Every time he asks God to listen to him or to hear him, he is giving explanation based on what what is the foundation that he is asking God to hear him. David used expressive language to speak his need and figuratively is asking God in heaven to bow his head to earth to hear David's plea for help. He's imagining God as a person, and God should bow his head from heaven to the earth to hear David's plea for help. This image actually indicates to us the humble position of David. So, David actually perceived himself in a very humble position. Way on the earth And God Is very high in heaven And The only way for God According to David's perception That God bow down his head And hear him Also show the attentiveness Of the almighty God To the cries of his people As if David is saying Incline your ear For you sit so high, you have need to do so in order to hear me, because I lie so low, for I am poor and needy. As I am the beggar sitting at the rich man's gate, so incline your ear to your poor servant and hear me. For I am poor and needy. This was the first of several reasons As I told you from verse 1 to 5 He gave many reasons why God should hear him Why God should answer his request of bowing down Because he is poor and needy By poor and needy He means That although the person May abound in the riches of the world Still He does not put his trust In the riches of the world And takes no pride in them Although he may abound In riches of the world But he does not despise others But rather despises The wealth itself And does not look upon himself Greater than those Who are not possessed Of such wealth Which means David Entirely depended on God in whom he had placed his entire hope, his strength, his riches. And without God, he knew he was nothing and he could do nothing. Therefore, with great truth, he proclaimed and said, I am poor and needy. David here appealed to God's sympathy, to God's compassion, I am poor and needy. So, I need your compassion, I need your sympathy. It is significant that David began his plea with this I am poor and needy. David's understanding of love and compassion of God was foundational. Foundational that God is kind hearted. Because if, just I'm saying if, God is hard hearted. He wouldn't care about the poor and needy But David knew that God was full of love and compassion And God would be moved by the fact That David is and knew himself to be poor and needy And in a spiritual sense All of us are poor and needy spiritually Righteous men are poor in spirit And they are aware of their spiritual poverty And ask God for supply for their need Blessed are the poor in spirit For theirs is the kingdom of heaven David was not afraid to be humble As some people sometimes are afraid To admit they are poor and needy To confess that you are poor and needy Seems demeaning to some And to admit that we are servant seems unworthy. According to St. Augustine, it is our Lord Jesus Christ who prays for us and prays in us and is to be prayed to by us. Meaning what? This verse, I am poor and needy, Can the Lord Jesus Christ himself Can be applied to the Lord Jesus Christ Because as St. Paul Said about him He became poor Although he is the rich Or the source of riches So St. Augustine said We pray to Jesus And also Jesus prays for us And also Jesus prays in us how can you understand these three? He prays for us and makes intercession for us because he is our high priest. He prays in us because he is the head and we are the body. And we pray to him because he is our God. Again, we pray to him because he is our God. And he prays in us because he is the head and we are the body. And he prays for us Because he is the high priest Let us then recognize Our own words in him And his words in us So This verse can be our word In him, in Jesus Or his word in us Because he is the head And we are the body St. Augustine says God bows down the ear if you lift not up your neck If you not lift up your neck Means if you keep your humbleness Not becoming arrogant or prideful For he, God, draws near to the holy But departs far from the uplifted The proud Save those who humble This Save those humble Whom he has himself lifted up it is not to the rich but to the poor and needy, to the humble, penitent, those who confess their sins and needing mercy. God bows not his ear to him who is full and haughty and arrogant, who boasts as in want of nothing. I do not need anything from God. Like the Pharisee who said, I thank you that I am not like this public. Verse 2: Preserve my life for I am holy. You are my God, save your servant who trusts in you. Verse 2, he tells in what respect he wishes to be heard. In verse 1, he told them, Hear me. But what's your request? I'm hearing you, God telling him, I'm hearing you. What's your request? So he said, preserve my life. He felt that without God's help, he could perish. David was often remarkably preserved by the Lord from attempts upon him. Several times King Saul wanted to kill him, several times. The Lord is not only the preserver of the lives of men in the temporal sense on earth, but also he is the preserver of the souls of his people by giving us eternal life. God keeps his people from the evil of sin and preserves them safe to his kingdom and glory. David is saying preserve my life because so many enemies lie in wait for In my exile To kill me For I am holy Many people struggle with this verse How can we say to God Preserve my life For I am holy Actually This is not a claim To absolute holiness Because David knew very well He was a sinner And he had and would sin. But David said, I am holy in the sense that he faithfully followed God's law. And if he falls, he repents. But not, I am holy in the sense that he is perfect. He is aware that it is not in his power alone to remain holy. So, he is asking God to preserve him. Saint Augustine says, When one feels a confidence that he has been justified through the sacraments, and calls himself holy through the grace of God. So, we can say we are holy because of the sacraments. We are holy through the grace of God. Saint Augustine says, Such is not to be looked upon as pride of a vain man. But it is a confession of one who is not ungrateful. I am grateful to God that he made me holy through his grace and through the sacraments. St. Augustine continues, but if one cannot venture to say, I am justified and cleansed, He can at least say I am holy Which means I am one of the faithful A professor of our holy faith and religion Dedicated and consecrated to God through baptism I became holy through baptism and the sacraments of the church So when David said I am holy It is not the pride of self-righteousness But it's a confession of gratitude since you forgive my sins, I became holy. And David emphasizes his relationship to God as his servant. When he said, save your servant who trusts in you. I am your servant. He does not see God as a distant, unreachable figure. But God is his Lord who will care for those who are his own because I am your servant, I I trust in you I trust in you means, I only trust in you I don't go anywhere for protection David relies on no one else but he looks only to God and he does this with complete confidence A man who does this Has a right to look to God for protection If he is the only source I rely on And also to expect God That he will intervene on his behalf Verse 3 Be merciful to me O Lord For I cry to you all day long So when David came to the throne of God He came with careful thought and based this plea on three similar ideas. All rooted in the fact that he was connected to God. What are these ideas? He impresses God's holiness in his own life. He is connected to God with worship. You are my God and is connected to God in trust and faith. I trust in you. So these are the three ideas. I am holy because of you. You are my God and I don't rely on anyone other than you because you are my God. I'm connected to you and I put my trust and faith in you. These are the three ideas. Then he said, be merciful to me, O God He said, be merciful to me because he totally dependent on God It was mercy after all that he relied on He relied on the mercies of God, not justice As we say in the Divine Liturgy, according to your mercy, O Lord And not according to our sins Also He said I cry to you all day long be merciful to me Because David could not or would not rely on anyone else for help It was not because he had any claim on the ground that he was holy He did not say be merciful to me because I am holy but He said be merciful to me because I cry to you all day long because I have hope that you will grant me your mercy. Be merciful to me It's a confession that I am a sinner and in need of forgiveness to my sins. So with boldness and trust in the work of God, he cries all day long without despair, without giving up. And according to Saint Augustine, He said, the church being the body of Christ cries as one man All day continually to the end of the world Let me explain this quote from St. Augustine You know, we, we live in different time zones For example, now we are praying And when actually we stop praying Another time zone will be praying to God And when another time zone You know stop praying There is another time zone praying to God But all of us Who are one body All of us who are one body The body of Christ So the church being the body of Christ cries as one person All day long Continually To the end of the ages So there is a continuous prayer Offered to the Lord and that is the body and our one head Christ intercedes for us before the Father so we are crying and the head Christ intercedes for us before the Father as we read in Romans chapter 8 verse 4 rejoice the soul of your servant for to you O Lord I lift up my soul so David felt that he could only find the joy in his soul when God meets his need so you see from verse 1 to 4 the prayer rises from just petition for relief and recovery, save me have mercy on me, preserve my life just from asking recover and to be relieved from suffering into earnest appeal for joy and joy actually is what heart of man is ever longing for and seeking after if I ask anyone of you what is the ultimate goal to be happy to be joyful to be glad it is only God that can put gladness into our heart, and make our soul rejoice. And there is no more likely way of attaining to spiritual joy, other than always lifting up our soul to God. So when we lift up our soul to God, He will give us His joy. Whoever truly and from his heart loves God, and obeys His commandment, and thinking on Him, and longing for Him, this person we can, he can say, "I lift up my soul to You," and he will receive joy. While, on the contrary, a person who loves the earth, thinking on earthly things, desiring the things of the earth, let his soul down to its level. The Lord in Gethsemane said. My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even to death. That's why he was praying to the Father. He uttered this petition to the Father that he may rejoice. Christ lifted up his eyes and his heart and soul to the Divine Father and also made his soul an offering for sin. He offered himself. As offering for sin. And at death he committed his spirit into the hand of the Father. So I lifted up my soul to you. Can be applied to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I told you this is a messianic psalm. Verse 5. For you O Lord are good and ready to forgive. And abundant in mercy. To all those who call upon you So Why David Lifted up his soul to God To obtain Joy and consolation Because he knows That God is good and ready to forgive David based this plea On the graciousness of God Knowing that he is good And ready to forgive Many wait To repent and ask forgiveness Because they think that time might make God more forgiving With time But no, in this Psalm We know that God is ready to forgive right now He's ready to forgive Don't wait As David called upon God for help He expected abundant mercy from God You are good, ready to forgive, abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you This expectation spoken in faith definitely would be answered by God St. Augustine observed that God's mildness is most remarkable in bearing with us when we pray All of us without exception when we pray We divert our attention to so many different subjects. We are distracted in prayer. And the fact that God even listened to this prayer in which we are distracted. This means God is kind and abundant in mercy. He listened to our prayers. Even if our prayers are unskillfully worded. Or our prayer broken by wandering thoughts and distraction. God is abundant in mercy Because whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved God only does not hear prayer If we don't really call upon Him Or we don't call upon Him as we should But very often, most of the time he hears us But at the fitting time Verse 6 Give ear O Lord, again he repeated what he said in verse 1 Give ear O Lord to my prayer and attend to the voice of my supplication Give ear O Lord, he repeats and multiplies his request Both To ease his own troubled mind You know when you are troubled And you are asking for something You repeat it over and over And God wants us To be persistent in our prayer And thus we will prevail With God Because God is well pleased When we are persistent in prayer David repeats Give ear O Lord In order to express his great desire For what he asks He is confident that If the loving, merciful God heard his prayer, he would answer favorably. Give ear and attend to the voice of my supplication. My supplication which proceeded from the spirit of grace and offered in a humble manner. So I offer my prayer in a humble manner and actually I'm expecting your grace because I'm depending on your mercy. So David was deeply sincere and intense in his prayer Verse 7 In the day of my trouble I will call upon you For you will answer me So this demonstrates David's confidence in God He knows when he calls on God in the day of trouble God will answer him He knew that God could be counted on and relied upon Even in the day of trouble the language implies dependency that in all time of trouble he would make God his refuge which was now the ground of his confidence also this psalm can be taken at the prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ in his passion on behalf of the Holy Church as he said in John chapter 11 verse 42 and I know that you always Hear me Verse 8 Among the gods There is none like you O Lord Nor are there any works Like your works So David's understanding Of who God is in this psalm He is listening Holy Worthy of trust Merciful, good Ready to forgive This God Stands in contrast To the understanding Of many of the pagan gods So David compares his own condition With those who worship idols And false gods David has God Who can hear Others Their idols cannot hear David is giving a reason why he is appealing to God alone Why he is lifting his soul up to God alone Because there is no one among the false gods like the true God No one is like him Either in power or in essence, in wisdom or in goodness The false gods idols are demons as we read in Psalm 96 verse 6 For all the gods of the people are idols St. Augustine says The psalmist here rebukes the heathen The gentiles who worship idols What did he say? Among the gods Let the pagan make for themselves What gods they will Let them make gods from wood, from silver, as they want. Let them bring workmen in silver, and in gold, furniture, sculptors. Let them make gods. But what kind of gods? Having eyes, but they cannot see. But we don't worship these idols. He says, we do not worship them, because they are symbols. What then do they worship the Gentiles, the heathen? They worship something else that's worse. For gods of the Gentiles are demons. These words, when he said, Among the gods there is none like you, O Lord, nor are there any works like your works, reminds me, in what we read in Isaiah chapter 36, verse 18 and 19, when Rabshake insulted Israel. So the response was Beware, let Hezekiah persuade you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Has any one of the gods of the nations? Delivered its land from the hand of the king of Assyria Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Safaravim? Who among all gods of these lands have delivered their countries from my hand? That the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand. So that's how Reb actually insulted the God of Israel but at the end actually they were defeated by God of Israel not only is there no God like the true God but none of them have produced any one work equal to the work of God that's why he said nor are there any work like your works for example God made heaven and earth and everything in them from nothing. But there is nothing this false God have done, which can be a ground of confidence. Why can we trust in him that can be compared with what God has done? In Deuteronomy chapter 3 verse 24, O Lord the God, You have begun to show Your servant Your greatness and Your mighty hand, For what God is there in heaven or in earth, who can do anything like your works, like your mighty deeds? No one is like God in essence or in work. Verse 9, all nations whom you have made, shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. So verse 9 actually is a prophecy. And it was fulfilled during the time of the Messiah So in verse 9 he is saying The time is coming When all nations of the earth shall acknowledge you O God And they will forsake their powerless idol And they will worship God alone And this clearly proves that no God is like the Lord And no work like His And St. Augustine says David has announced the church when he said all nations because the church in the New Testament is spread to all nations. If there is any nation which God has not made, maybe it will not worship Him. But there is no nation which God has not made because God made all of us from Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve are the source of all nations. Thus all nations sprang. That's why all nations will worship God. And truly, the worship of false God and idols, one day will cease, and their falsity and vanity be made perfectly clear. And the worship of the the true God will be everlasting. Partly accomplished in the Church of Christ here on Earth, but fully will be on the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we know from the church history, after the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ, the worship of idols began to disappear, and the worship of the true God to be introduced among all nations. But on the day of judgment, all men, all men without any exception, shall know that the gods of the Gentiles were demons, and whether they will or they will not, Every knee shall bow down Before the true God Verse 10 For you are great And do wonders things You alone are God You alone are God No one else can be called God except you David understood That the Lord Was not one God Among many gods, no Or the best God Among many gods, no he is alone God, none other. there is no other God, no other being can be called God. David provides the reason why the worship of false God will cease and all nations will worship and glorify God because he is alone God. He is truly great and he does wonder things that nobody else can do. So when one is really aware and mindful of who God is, then it should enable him to pray with boldness. Verse 11 Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Because David knew who God is, so the reaction was to submit himself to this great, wonderful, gracious God and he is asking God to teach him so this shows that David understood that God cares for him and the same great God whom all nations will worship and glorify will hear the prayer of David this poor and needy man And he asked him, teach me your way, O Lord. He is asking God to teach him, not just by enlightening his mind and giving him knowledge, but by moving his will. Move my will, change my will, so I will walk in your truth. Teach me your way, O Lord, I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. To walk in your truth means to walk in Christ because Christ is the truth himself and he is the true way to eternal life I am the truth, the way and the life And to walk in Christ is to walk by faith in him in hope of eternal life and happiness through him David is seeking consolation not for the sake of consolation itself but to be refreshed by it as a person asking for food in order to be refreshed so when he is refreshed by this consolation he can walk in the fear of God and David knew he could only walk in God's truth with a united heart when he said unite my heart means Don't let my heart be divided between the world and God. A divided heart that is divided between different loyalties and different deities could never walk in God's truth. Beautiful prayer unite my heart. Make it so whole and undivided that it may entirely love you. Love the Lord God from all your heart and fear you not partly. But fear Him wholly Not partly I fear the Him And partly I fear the world Also unite my heart Unite the heart of the Holy Church Grant us unity of faith Toward God And love toward one another Verse 12 I will praise you O Lord my God With all my heart And I will glorify your name forevermore So now he is adding thanksgiving to the prayer Because if you want to obtain more favors You need to show gratefulness and thanksgiving To be mindful of and grateful for what God has done to you in the past So even in the midst of difficulties David is focused on the character of God and he is keen to give thanks to God even in the middle of trouble and to praise God trusting that God will hear him and save him in verse 11 he told him, unite my heart in verse 12 he said, I will praise you with all my heart So. When my heart is united, I will praise you with all my heart He would give his whole heart to God He would allow nothing to divide or to distract his affection He would withhold nothing from God David will glorify God Not merely in the present difficult time But he will glorify God for even forevermore To the end of the ages As if he is saying In all cases, at all times In this world and even in eternal life I will honor and glorify God Verse 13 For great is your mercy toward me And you have delivered my soul From the depth of Sheol The merciful God who rescued him Before would rescue him again That's why he said For great is your mercy toward me Great your mercy in temporal things and spiritual things You have delivered me from every distressed and miserable condition When I was under the deep sense of sin And I was afraid from your wrath When David committed adultery and murder And rebuked by Nathan the prophet you rescued myself from the depth of Sheol, that is the hell, From the second in eternal death Which actually every man is worthy of But who are delivered from hell Only by the grace of God and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ And this verse show His high sense of accountability of sin I deserve sin I deserve to be in Sheol But you risked my life You delivered me And I am grateful and thankful For this Verse 14 O God The proud Have risen against me And a mob of violent men Have sought my life And have not set You before them As I told you, the beginning and the end of the psalm are similar So from verse 14 to 17, mirroring from 1 to 7 So after offering praises and thanksgiving, David comes again to pray, asking to be delivered Why? Because multitude of enemies are seeking his life He is crying out for help, and he is confident in God and God is able to save him David lived such a long life of danger and we cannot precisely place when exactly or what are the circumstances in which he prayed this song it could have come at several points in his life but you can see here the danger is so clear and real proud have risen against me map of violent men have sought my life and have not set you before them. Why are some think that David is referring to his enemies but as I told you this song is about the Messiah so it can be about the enemies of Christ the proud here in verse 14 are the secret council of the priests and high priests and the Pharisees and the map of violent men the cries of the multitude, crucify him, crucify him. And St. Augustine says this verse is about Christ, and he says it is to be understood of the members of Christ's body. So we can apply this verse about Christ and about the church who are his body, or any person suffering persecution from their spiritual enemies. So the man of God delivered through the grace of Christ from the lower hell by the blood of Jesus Christ fighting in the meantime with his spiritual enemies and in heavy groans cries O God the proud have risen against me So yes on the cross God delivered us from Hades and from hell but satans and demons until now attack us so we cry and say to God, God, the proud have risen against me. Mob of violent men, all the demons are attacking me. They did not set you before them. They are not few in number nor weak in strength, but a mob of violent men, a great congregation of most powerful enemies, have sought my life to destroy it. And in their blindness and irrationality, They are blind, that's why they have not set you before them. They did not consider that you are the protector of the just. And they presume to fight war, not with weak mortals, but with the Lord of hosts. They are not realizing when they fight us, exactly they are fighting God. As the Lord said to St. Paul before his conversion, Why do you persecute me? For David, for him it was clear that these proud men and these violent mobs did not surrender to God. With his proud and merciless enemies, he contrasted in verse 15 and revealed the character of God as the ground of prayer. So in verse 14 he said, they are proud, they are violent, they are mob and They did not set you before them But in verse 15 Sees a comparison But you O Lord are a God Full of compassion Gracious, long suffering Abundant in mercy and truth So having mentioned The quantity and the quality Of his enemies Now he is asking for help Against them In various terms Proclaiming God's goodness To show that he is not foolish In hoping and asking assistance from God Because God is so good He is full of compassion and gracious Long-suffering abundant in mercy and truth God declared to us in Exodus chapter 34 Verse 6 and 7 He is merciful, gracious, long-suffering Abounding in goodness and truth Keeping mercy for thousands and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. So God could not therefore abandon the psalmist in his need because of who he is. Some scholars said that David explained why God permitted them to rise against the Christ and to deliver him over to death. Why God allowed the high priest, and the priests, and the Pharisees, and scribes to rise against Christ. So, they said because of God's mercy. So, God did, the Father did not spare His own Son, and He allowed these people to rise against Christ, and He delivered Christ to them to be crucified, Because he is merciful upon us So the passion of Christ Is a work of great compassion and mercy Toward us And also the Son Voluntarily giving himself As a sacrifice for us According to his true promises Also God is long suffering He bore so much for us he bore all the rebuke and the violence of those who crucified Him. And He is abundant in mercy. He came to save us and abundant in truth because He taught us the truth. Even His enemies acknowledge that He is the truth. They said to Him in Matthew 22 verse 16, You are true and teach the way of God in truth. Verse 16 O turn to me and have mercy on me Give your strength to your servant And save the son of your maidservant Because of all the attributes in verse 15 Now he is calling on God To show his saving power All the commentators on verse 16 They said it's about the resurrection of Christ. Give strength to your servant and save the son of your midservant servant about the resurrection of Christ. How? Christ asking the Father's protection, turn to me. So in saying have mercy upon me, he is asking deliver from misery and from death and from the tomb. And the son of your midservant. servant Because Jesus Christ was born of pure virgin And she said to the angel Behold the maidservant of the Lord So Jesus Christ is the son of the maidservant And relating it to David God had for a time turned his face away from David When he was persecuted and was in exile Now God is entreated by David To turn his attention toward him And to have mercy on David And to deliver him Through it all David never approached God On basis on his merits Because I am worthy No, he approached God Because of the mercies of God Anything he received from God He would receive it on basis of the mercies of God So only in God's strength we can effectively struggle or strive against either our spiritual or temporal enemies. That's why he said, Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maid servant. Only in the strength of God we can fight the good fight. And here the fathers distinguish between the Lord Christ, the only begotten Son, and we, the believers, the children of God by adoption save the son of your servant. They said, it. each of his members, the members of Christ, can utter this prayer, who is God's servant and child. We are also the children of God and God's servant. But by adoption and by obedience to Him, because we are the son of His handmaid, the church, who are the children of the church, So the children of God by adoption, we enjoy strength of God through the divine grace. Give strength to your servant and save your children, children of your mid-servant, which is the church. So the strength we get is a free gift, not because of our own worthiness. Last verse, verse 17, show me a sign for good that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed, because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. So he concludes this psalm by asking for sign, external sign. Why? This sign not for him, but that his enemies see that God always consoles and assists his servant. So he is not asking a sign that he knows that his sins are forgiven and he is saved But no, he is asking for a visible sign to others, to the enemies By which the enemies know that God is on his side and would verily do good to him But a question was raised by many commentators What is the sign? Show me a sign for good What is the sign? Saint Jerome says it is sign of the cross of Christ And it is a token for good It being the token of redemption And when the evil spirits Our enemies who hate us See this sign They will be ashamed So the sign for good is the cross And when the enemies, the demons Those who hate us see it they are ashamed when they see the cross. St. Augustine, this, this sign will appear on the last day, the sign of the cross, in the second coming of Christ, which will be for good to the elect, will be happy to see the sign of the cross, but to the enemies will be ashamed. Other interpret this sign about the incarnation of the Son of God, As we read in Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14, when King Ahaz, God sent him a message through Isaiah, telling him, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son. And definitely, the incarnation of the Son of God is a token of of good for all of us. And for David also was a token for good, because the Messiah descended from... David, he is called the son of David And it is a token for good to the whole world Because we are delivered through Christ from all our enemies Also the sign for good can be the spiritual joy That he asked, rejoice the heart of your servant Because people usually when they go through a difficult time, They are not joyful But such joy To a person who is in tribulation Is a clear sign of the grace of God When people see us joyful during time of tribulation They will say they have God with them So the meaning would be give me the grace Of that spiritual joy That will appear externally on me So people can see me joyful So those who hate me may see such peace And serenity of soul on my face And be ashamed For you O Lord Have helped me in my struggles You comforted me in my sorrow And have already changed My sadness into inner joy And gladness So David's deliverance Would be Shame to his enemies Because it would show them That God on his side And God is against them Once again, David bases his current expectation from God based on the prior help, on all what God had done to him before. So, our past experience of God's goodness should be promise of his continued help to us in the future. Don't forget what God has done to you, because as God was good to you before, he will continue to be good for you. This concludes Psalm 86. Glory be to God forever and ever.